Today I have the pleasure of speaking with Don Grotting, a longtime superintendent in Oregon who hails from, southwest, from the southwestern part of the state and grew up in the town of Coquille. Today he serves as superintendent for the Beaverton School District and previously served as superintendent in Powers, Nyssa, and David Douglas School Districts. He also serves on numerous boards and advisory committees, including the Governor's Council on Education and Oregon State Board of Education. He has received several awards and accolades for his work, such as the 2014 Oregon Superintendent of the Year from the American Association of School Administrators. Thank you, Don, for taking some time to speak with me today. Welcome. It's good to be here with you this morning. Don, you are known as an advocate for early learning, and it's my understanding that some of your personal life experiences, uh, as well as experience as superintendent and powers in NISA, help shape your views on early learning. Could you talk about that history and evolution? Yes. Um, as you mentioned, I grew up in southwestern Oregon and uh, grew up in extreme poverty and did not have um, a lot of uh, opportunities, especially in the area of early childhood education. And during my time uh, in education, seeing some of our students as they come into our K-12 system at various levels uh, really illuminated the different ways that our children are coming to us uh, in, in reference to their academic and their social-emotional learning differences. And so as I become, became educated and learned about the importance of early childhood education and the impact that it has on our students as they go through the K-12 system, and then eventually going out into life and into our world, uh, I truly believe it is the uh, most important variable to uh, making sure that our students have success. After your work in NISA, you moved to the David Douglas School District in Portland. Could you talk about that transition and what it was like? Yeah, so NISA was a school district of approximately 1,500 students and diverse in that approximately 60% of our students were Latino students and uh, about 40% of those were migrant students. And uh, it was a uh, rural school district with an agricultural background uh, as far as the economics. And then in moving to David Douglas a School District located in southeastern Portland, uh, moved into a district where there were over 100 different languages spoken and a school district of uh, significant poverty. Uh, approximately 60% of our parents were on some sort of subsistence such as food stamps and extreme um, diversity and uh, poverty and in located in an urban urban district. Um, so that was something that was extremely new for me. And that's what actually uh, encouraged me to go there. I think that uh, I really enjoy working with uh, students of poverty and students of, of color and diversity. In, in both of those districts that you worked in, you had to spend time working on uh, helping English learners make gains, and you were successful. You had a lot of success with, with that work. Can you talk a little bit about what that looked like in Nyssa and David Douglas? Yeah, I think in, in both of those um, districts, being able to engage parents at uh, the earliest onset that we could 
And so in both of those districts, uh, we engaged parents uh, even uh, as soon as they had children birth that birth to three. And then the three to five-year-olds, we had preschools. We had migrant preschools and just saw that the impact that that had on the children's uh, early success. And then um, moving to David Douglas is where I first became engaged with the Children's Institute. And uh, they reached out. They had already reached out to the district, and they were talking about early childhood education and the possible partnership in creating those early childhood opportunities for students. And so that was the first time I was able to meet with uh, Swati Adarkar, who was the executive director of the Children's Institute. And we hit it off right away, and uh, both of us um, really engaged in that partnership and started exploring ways that uh, we could develop early childhood education in the David Douglas School District that would not only benefit our students, but really become a model for the state. And as we started working and going through the research and trying to find out what would be the best possible early childhood environment for our kids. Uh, we developed uh, early, the early learning program at Earl Boyles Elementary School. And so you were involved with the development of the Early Works Project, and then um, that that evolved and became the Early Learning Wing at David Douglas. It, be, it became uh, working with the community on a bond to get that facility built. What was that process like? Oh, it was... Um, illuminating and I think it uh, was the most important of that project uh, really started with uh, a community needs assessment to where we really went out into the community of David Douglas and in particular the catchment area of Earl Boyles and had critical discussions with the parents of what do they really want for their students what do they want for their children how could we work with them for their children to be successful? And through that, just built some wonderful, long-lasting, and they still exist, partnerships with the parents. And during this time, also was able to work with uh, the Children's Institute and their board, which uh, were so committed to the development of early childhood education, not only in the David Douglas School District, but throughout the state of Oregon. And in doing so, uh, under started understanding some of the critical issues that are facing the children in Oregon and throughout our nation and those opportunity gaps or achievement gaps that are existing and how could we could stop them from opening. And working with our school board and the entire community, we were able to pass a bond that was able to build an early learning wing, as well as engage the business community, nonprofit community, some other wraparound services that really address the needs of the whole child, as well as um, parents in the organization. So it was uh, what it has been uh, my greatest learning experience while I've been in education, but also has brought uh, me the most satisfaction in making the biggest dif difference for kids. You've talked a little bit about this idea of and, and the importance of engaging families and parents. And I'm curious if that has been, has that always been part of the way you see 
your role as a superintendent or is that something that, you know, was that, was there an aha moment on the need to do that? Um, obviously it's part of, it's important, like if you're going to be doing a community needs assessment to get that community input, but it's really been a, a key piece of helping change how, uh, how parents engage with the school. Yes, I think it. I think it's always been. Uh, we've known that it's always important to engage parents, but I believe that uh, learning about early childhood education and truly the significant impact that it has that experience in early childhood education really brought it to the forefront of how it truly has to be a partnership uh, with parents. I truly believe that uh, parents are their child's first teacher. And until we really recognize that, appreciate it, and give it significance, we can't help the children reach their maximum capacity, maximum potential. How would you say the the work at David Douglas changed the school community at Earl Boyles or, you know, with this attention on early learning and the investment in it? by the school and the district and the community how 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 would you say that changed the mm-hmm. learning environment in in the in the school community oh i think it, i think it changed everything i think um it brought the k5 teaching environment it provided them with a better understanding of the importance of early learning family engagement talked about uh, the brain and the most important, some of the most influential years uh, of a children of a child's life is that zero to five when they're, you can make such an impact. The other important aspect uh, that I brought that I think it really truly brought was to make sure that parents are engaged at the earliest possible moment, and they feel a lot more comfortable. I think when they bring when they're bringing their two, three, four-year-old into that environment, they feel comfortable. And I think that sometimes when parents come into our schools, beginning in kindergarten and up through the fifth grade, that sometimes uh, they may feel a little bit more intimidated. And I believe that also that public education in some of our schools, we need to become more welcoming so engaging those parents at the earliest possible time and when they're bringing their students in and they know that we care about their students at that earliest possible age, it, it builds that sense of community. I think the other part that it also does, it uh, gave our K-5 teachers uh, a truly better understanding of the importance of early childhood education. And they saw it not as a separate silo, but really part of that school environment at Earl Boyles. Tell me about your work here in Beaverton now. What are some of the priorities that you have in place? And and I'm curious about how early learning is situated uh, in the Beaverton School District. Yes. So I believe when I interviewed for this position that uh, we have a very progressive board. And I believe one of the reasons that they reached out to me was my work in early childhood education. That was one component of it. And so right now, uh, we currently are trying to develop early childhood education throughout all of the catchment areas in Beaverton. Our board uh, understands the importance of that to the point that they have made it one of the key initiatives 
of the district. And so we're starting to see how do you implement early childhood education in a large district like Beaverton, which is the third largest uh, district in the in the state. We have about 40,000 students and 5,000 employees. So how does that look? How does implementation look on a, on a macro basis when we're trying to do that? So we have uh, several different catchment areas with various uh, cultural aspects. So uh, a one-size-all uh, doesn't fit every catchment area. So really trying to recognize the culture of those catchment areas, the community needs of that catchment area. And so we're trying to go very slow. We want to do it right. We want to make sure that we're using the best research that we can to make the biggest impact for our students. Your work as a superintendent in multiple districts, both urban and rural, I would say gives you a unique perspective about what schools need to be successful and successfully serve students and families. What what would you say you've learned along the way? What's what's stood out for you over over the many years that you've been working as a superintendent? Kids are kids wherever you go, but I think what's important is kids come to us in a lot of different ways, and we have to meet each and every child where they come from us, and then give them what they need to be able to to go out and be successful and. Uh, Rural communities are different than urban communities. They have uh, different challenges. They have they come with different types of assets. And I'll go back to that community needs assessment, really trying to understand uh, the culture of the community and what their needs are and making sure that you're engaging all the stakeholders to really leverage and have a, a true collective impact, uh, not only on the school, not only on the parents, but the entire, the entire community. And they're, and they're very different uh, everywhere from the resources that are available to the type of students that you're, you're serving and uh, the different cultures that exist. So just really, tr- truly taking the time to understand the community in which you're trying, in which you're serving. Early learning in preschool, uh, we often hear about how they're, they're disconnected from the K-12 system. The two systems don't really talk to each other. And in fact, we don't really have a clearly defined early learning system. Can you talk about why that is and what it would take to change that? Yeah, I think part of the reason is um, that our governance system, our funding system is not set up to serve that. The other thing that I think that probably has stopped early childhood education from developing is just our lack of knowledge about the importance of early childhood education and how it can uh, has a significant impact on everything from a student's education to their health and to a region or state's economic vitality. And in my experience, unless you truly try to integrate it into the K-12 system, and it's not seen as a silo, it's not going to work effectively. And so in the K-12 system, we have a funding system, both a spending and a funding formula to address the needs of those students. And in early childhood education, uh, we do not. Although we have 
We have uh, programs like Head Start, and those services are not getting to all the students, especially in Oregon, that needs to be served. And we continue to work in silos. Um, just recently, and I would say probably maybe in the last three to five years, we're starting to see some movement at the state level uh, with some of our legislators, our governors, finding the importance. But I still believe that we need um, some increased efforts and leadership from our state, additional resources allocated towards the development, a state plan that talks about what is a what is a quality early childhood education look like, and then to support that with not only the resources, but uh, different governance and policy issues that will allow school districts or private providers and other entities to be able to develop these programs so that we know that we're going to have quality as well as being able to do a statewide lift versus having right now, I think we have some pockets of success in various parts of our state. And what every child needs is to have that quality early childhood education experience that's going to allow them to be successful and allow the state a statewide lift. I, I want to ask you a little bit more about what's happening statewide or what the potential is there. But you, you mentioned quality and we think about quality in early learning. Mm -hmm. And it seems like the most logical place to think about connecting to K-12 is looking at preschool. And if we think about quality preschool or high quality preschool, sometimes there are, there's some questions about what exactly that means. We wrestle with the definition of high quality preschool. What is a high quality preschool to you, what what does that look like? So for me, a high quality preschool is a is a preschool that is integrated with some of the standards that are in the K twelve system, all the way from academic standards to social emotional learning standards, and really the back mapping that I believe that needs to take place, especially from age three to grade three, making sure that all of our children that are on track when they hit that critical third grade benchmark that, is, that becomes a predictor of whether uh, the student's going to graduate, go on to post-secondary opportunities. But also, I think that quality, a preschool, quality early childhood education is not just the preschool. It's also engaging parents at an early, the earliest possible times in talking about the social emotional development of the child, being able to bring quality educators into providing the instruction and the guidance uh, for the child. There's a lot that goes into that. I think a lot of people think, well, uh, quality preschool is just a early four-year-old kindergarten, and it's that is so far from the case. It's really it's really a different type of learning that needs to take place. It needs to recognize the brain development at that age, at that early age. It needs to recognize different qualities of an infrastructure, where the, where the learning is going to take place, how the learning is going to take place. And it really takes a quality educator to be able to understand that, as well as being able to tie it to the Kate, to the 
to the K-12 system. Sometimes in our field, when we talk about early learning, we think we, we talk about early learning as a uh, as an effort to achieve equity for to help you know close achievement gaps and create a more equitable education system. How how do you think about the equity question in the context of early learning in K twelve? In my experience, we're seeing students enter into the K twelve system at. Um, varying levels. And um, some students are coming to us already reading. Some students are coming to us two, three years behind their counterparts, whether it's in letter and number recognition or their ability for self-regulation. And we are expecting uh, when these students enter into our kindergarten for them to be at that critical third grade benchmark. So we're expecting some of our K-1, 2, and 3 teachers to do that. And uh, basically, it's to able to accelerate the learning of these students uh, to sometimes maybe five to six years to meet that third grade benchmark. And it's, and it's, it's literally not possible. And so we also know that we're pumping millions and millions of dollars into interventions from the K to three to, to the third grade. And to be honest with you, we are not helping the majority of those students. It's just, it's so difficult. And I think our teachers are working as hard as they can. We are doing everything possible, but uh, we're just missing the opportunity to close that achievement gap before it opens. And I've always said, if I, if I could do one thing, I would. Uh, if if it came down to a choice, I'd get rid of the senior year of high school, <laughs> so we could come down and have a universal preschool. I was going to ask you. I know you've said that before, and I do. You still feel that way? Oh, without a doubt. I think it's we we have to be able to once again reach these children, reach these families at the earliest possible onset. And if we can start having all of our children come into kindergarten ready to learn what we can do with the rest of the K-12 system, it would be significant. We could start ramping up the rigor in all of our grades past kindergarten and there would be more money that would be able to be allocated to the system because we wouldn't be spending as much money on interventions. Everything from special education identification and services to second language um, services and language acquisition, the money that we're spending on those would, would be significantly decreased. If you think about, again, back to this K-12 and early learning kind of in separate universes. What mm-hmm. what doesn't K-12 understand about early education and early learning? And on the other side of it, what could they what could they contribute to the field of early education and early learning? How could they help build an early learning system? What K-12, I believe, could learn uh, from early learning, I think uh, in quality early learning programs, they are addressing the needs of the whole child. And all the way from the social emotional learning to the academics. And I think that it seems like in early learning, we're doing a lot of inquiry, exploration. And even at the end of this, in kindergarten, we, we continue to do that. But then it seems as we go up through our education system, we become more regimented. And I believe in some ways we stifle the creativity and the the fun of learning. Mm -hmm. And I believe 
we could learn a lot from early learning. Through that, I also believe that um, the K-12 system would be well served to build a true partnership with early learning in that early learning could help us so much by learning and understanding the requirements that exist in the K-12 system. And how could we work together to, uh, whether it's develop a scope and sequence and or look at the different types of curriculum, the different ways that students learn, and start uh, also investigating some of the different cultural uh, differences that we're starting to see in our children, equity issues, race issues, poverty issues, and addressing some of those health needs that come along with some of those variables. Getting back to what's happening throughout the state or at the state level, there, there are a number of efforts underway in Oregon to transform early learning. You're currently involved in uh, some work groups with COSA, the Confederation of Oregon School Administrators, and the goal is to help shape policy for Oregon's 2019 legislative session. How can Oregon lead in in developing a comprehensive early learning system, or how can we lead in early learning implementation? What is it? What is it that the state needs to do to get that right? First of all, I think we really need a comprehensive statewide plan, and I believe that the state, uh, to their credit, has went out and hired. Uh, Miriam Calderon, and uh, she is a leader, a recognized leader in the nation. So helping her um, provide her with the resources and the wherewithal, the technical assistance to help develop that statewide plan that truly addresses what quality early childhood education is, and not only what it is, but then uh, provide the resources to be able to allow different entities, whether it be the K-12 world or other private partners, uh, state partners, to be able to develop these programs in a quality way to do a statewide lift. But really getting that statewide plan I believe we have the variables in place right now uh, to put that in motion. We have legislators, we have a governor who believes that early childhood education is an avenue to close the achievement gap, to make an economic difference for Oregon, and we just need to keep that momentum uh, moving right now. You mentioned the Confederation of School Administrators, COSA. So they actually, for the first time ever, has looked at early childhood education as being part of the K-12 system and made it one of their top three priorities, along with social-emotional learning and creating a diversified and quality workforce, which will, should and will include early childhood education professionals. So in this early learning in K-12 system, how, how would you think about um, impacting the way teachers teach? How do you think about professional learning and professional development for the workforce? Oh, that's a great question because I think that is uh, an area that is lacking. I believe that uh, as we try to promote and collaborate with K-12 educators, the need for professional development uh, for our administrators for teachers, uh, for our parents, 
is going to be imperative if we're going to build a quality program. There are, in my estimation, so few people that have the expertise needed to move our state, our schools, and our children to create that quality system. So having uh, the wherewithal and the time to create professional development opportunities for for all is going to be imperative if we're gonna if we're gonna uh, create a once again a quality program. And I know I mentioned I said teachers when I asked that question, but it's really thinking about teachers and staff and principals and super, everyone who's who's involved in the work. Yeah. Also, I think uh, sometimes we leave out an important uh, group. It's the school board. So school board, if we're talking about uh, creating systems or within the creating early childhood education within the K-12 system, is bringing our school boards along. In Beaverton and in David Douglas, I've been so fortunate in having school board members who educated themselves or were really willing to do the research and understand the importance of early childhood education because they're really the ones that are going to prioritize those resources. And sometimes when we don't have enough in the K-12 system, it's really hard to prioritize resources for early childhood education unless you really understand those long-term benefits. And I've been just so fortunate to have uh, boards at David Douglas and at Beaverton now that are they're making those priorities. I know that there will always be additional resources coming, coming through, but at some point uh, I believe that if you're a school district, you have to have some skin in the game, and that means allocating and prioritizing some of those resources because it will bring returns on long-term investment. If given the chance in a perfect world, you know, and if you, you had the opportunity to design an education system and, and create opportunity to meet the kid, needs of all kids – what would that look like? How, how would you do it? First of all, I would look at uh, a quality early childhood education really starts at birth and uh, the birth to three and then looking at that age three to grade three. Uh, I believe that uh, looking at the resources that would need to be allocated there, knowing that we're not going to be able to do everything at once because of economic conditions is really, I'll go back to that statewide plan, having a statewide implementation plan and starting to recognize and prioritize our most at-risk populations and beginning there, but also working up to where universal preschool was funded. So every child in Oregon had the opportunity to have a quality preschool experience, and that would include three- and four-year-olds. But going back and starting to address the needs of the zero-to-three population, I believe our, we need to look at really becoming partners with early intervention, Head Start, other providers that are engaged with early childhood education, and all of those stakeholders need to be at the table and have a common goal. But I really believe it starts with a with a, a strategic statewide plan that has milestones ingrained in there and the resources allocated to be able to meet those milestones along the way. 
Do you think we can get to a point where we can be funding some of these initiatives and get universal preschool in place? And what kind of obstacles do you see there? I think we can get there. You know, one of the, we mentioned before that COSA, one of the work groups is early childhood education. And the goal of that work group is to be able to deliver to the legislature in the next biennium uh, a plan, uh, an advocacy plan, along with a request for funding to begin that journey. Definitely, I believe some of the obstacles that are going to be there is we're always competing with other agencies, other priorities. And I think until early childhood education truly becomes a priority and resources are allocated, you know, it's going to be difficult to get there. I think um, specifically talking to about Oregon is the in the next biennium, the PERS increases, the public employment retirement system increases that are going to be facing each and every school district as well as each and every uh, city, state, and county entity that is involved with PERS. I think uh, that will be a limit on some resources. I think we need some continued and increased state leadership that understands early childhood education and having those folks have the ability and the wherewithal to change policy and governance and tying that into the K-12 system. Don, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Oh, thank you. Thank you for uh, keeping early childhood education at the forefront. I think, I, I truly believe it is the key to close the achievement gap to make a true difference for each and every child in Oregon. It will level the playing field, and it has the ability to really uh, change the economic landscape for Oregon. Great. Thank you, Don. This is the Early Link Podcast brought to you by Children's Institute. Children's Institute is working to ensure a strong beginning for Oregon's children. Learn more at childinst.org.